you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Jamie and I and the family have just got back from vacation. Um, we started from here. We headed uh, west. So um, started from here, stayed in Arkansas. We spent the night there, got into Kansas and spent a week with Jamie's family After a week there, we went to a camp that we've been associated with in Colorado for some time and had a speaking engagement there. Um, When we left Colorado on a Saturday morning, I think it was two weeks ago now, it was 54 degrees. And so it is good to be back home in South Carolina. 54 degrees, it was nice. Ephesians 6. Verses 1 through 4. We've been traversing a series this summer called Hard Sayings of the Bible. And so my task this morning um, is to unpack for us as parents, but not just parents namely. So I don't want you to begin to hear, okay, Ephesians 6, parents, and I'm not a parent, so just kind of like turn the volume down and just check out. So it's It's not that at all this morning, but what I do want to unpack for us this morning is what does it mean to provoke your children to anger? That's where we are going to be. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, but verse 4 is primarily where we are going to land this morning. My disclosure statement is this this morning. When I talk about marriage and when I talk about parenting... Um, I never want you to presuppose that I have a perfect marriage or a perfect family. Now, don't get me wrong, I I have a perfect wife and I have perfect kids. (laughs) But they have a very imperfect husband and imperfect father. So you can imagine, after traveling 4,000 miles together in a van... That this message is going to be preached to me as much as it is to all of us that are here this morning. So, all to say it's this, no condemnation, right? No condemnation this morning. We are only seeking God's good grace and mercy as we huddle together to ask what Paul is getting at. So, that's, that's the disclosure statement. Paul has really been saying, so let me give you kind of the overarching context of Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. What Paul has been saying up to this point is that the ultimate meaning of marriage, the ultimate purpose of marriage, is to give the world a beautiful picture of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and the good church. So I'm just making sure you're with me, right? So Christ and the church, and it it is in this setting... That children are made and made to be disciples of Christ. In other words, the covenant of, and I have to say this in the culture that we live in today. So the covenant of one man and one woman, right? So we have to say that, sadly, today. One man, one woman in covenant sets the physical, the emotional, the moral The spiritual nest for the other purpose of marriage, namely bringing children into the world and bringing them to the foot of the cross. 
So that's what Paul is doing. So we come to Ephesians 6. And what I see in this context is really three questions. Again, honing in on verse 4. Here's the first question. Who is it that's being addressed? So who is Paul addressing here? Well, notice verse 1. Right? What do you notice right out of the gate? So children, who at one point or another has been a child in this room? Good, right? All of us. That's why this text is for everyone, right? Children, obey. So there is this obedience that now comes to the forefront. Children, obey. So obviously this admonition for obedience is given to children. But notice who are the recipients of this obedience, according to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, right? Parents. So parents, father, mother. Clearly, both parents are given guidance and instruction that can be obeyed because children are told to obey their parents, both mother and father. In this nest, both the mother and the father are teaching, they're modeling, they're guiding, and they're disciplining. But then notice what happens in verse 4. You see it? So we might expect Paul to just continue this united focus on parents and say, what? Parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But what does he say? He doesn't say that. He says, what? Fathers. Fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. So it seems... That fathers have a leading responsibility in raising children. So let me be crystal clear. Not a sole responsibility, but a leading one. Everybody understand, right? So not sole responsibility, but you're the leader. You ought to be leading from the front. This is the way I like to think about it. So I, I just put it in this context in my mind. If there's a problem with the Kincaid children and Jesus needs to pay a visit to the house, right? He's going to knock on the door and I think there's no doubt that he's going to want to sit down with both Jamie and I. You know what? I think at some point he's going to grab me by the arm and we're going to have a man-to-man discussion. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be a God-to-man discussion. I think he's going to want to set me straight. He's going to want to help me to see that you are the leader of this family. Not sole leader, but leader, primary leader. So who is he addressing? I think he's addressing children. I think he's addressing both parents. But I also think primarily he's honing in on fathers here. Second question, why anger? Of all the things Paul could have encouraged fathers not to do, parents not to do, why this one? He chooses anger. I think it's amazing, right? He could have have said, you know, why not don't discourage them, (laughs) right? Or tempt them to covet or lie. Or why not don't abuse them? Or set a bad example for them, right? Don't be a hypocrite. 
or manipulate them. Of all things he could have warned fathers against, why this? Why anger of all the things he could have listed? I I think there are two reasons. Here's the first. He warns against provoking anger because anger is the most common emotion of the sinful heart when it confronts what? Authority. (laughs) Authority. Right? When, When a father and a mother embody authority, and apart from Christ, the child embodies what? Self will. I'm telling you, you got, there, there's going to be some butting of heads. And it's bound to happen, right? You've seen it. In young children, it could be the father or mother embodying authority, disciplining. And I'm telling you, that young child, it is a temper tantrum. It's complete meltdown. With teenagers, it could be slamming doors. Or worse, melancholy. Depression, right? Whole host of things that come to the forefront. I think that's the first reason. The second is probably what he's really getting at, which is why I would say because anger out of any other emotion devours good emotions. Let me say that again. Anger out of any other emotion devours good emotions. I'm here to tell you, not just from experience, but from the authority of God's word, anger will destroy friendships. Anger will destroy families. Anger will destroy marriages. Anger will destroy you. Which is why I think Paul says in the same book, what? Do not let the what? Sun go down on your anger. What's he getting at? He's getting at this. Deal with it. Deal with it now. Don't let the sun go down. One author put it this way. I I think this is brilliant words. He says, quote, Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. (laughs) To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last twosome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are given back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. So why anger and why this message is so important for all of us here? is because if we let anger blossom and harbor and fester and be a cancer in you, it will destroy you. Third and final reason. So what shall we say to parents? 
What shall we say to me as a parent about this matter of anger in our children? I, I think this is the first thing, and it just needs to be said. And I think it's this. Never allow your children to use this verse as emotional blackmail. <laughs> never allow your children to use this verse as emotional blackmail. Because I think this is what we could say, right? Even being a child, us as adults. I think you could say this even in marriages, right, to your spouse. I am angry, so you're wrong. I am upset, so you're wrong. Dad, you are making me angry, so you're wrong. Or my emotions are the measure of your love. So if I'm unhappy, what? You're not loving me. Right? I mean, seems like that, that could be said here. But we know that Paul does not mean that. Why do we know that Paul does not mean that? It's because Jesus himself made many people, what? Angry. And there wasn't a second, a millisecond in his life that he was sinning or failing to love perfectly. So never allow your children to use this verse as emotional blackmail, blackmail. The second thing is avoid the huge temptation to say things and to do things and neglect things that will cause legitimately avoidable anger in our children. And we could just, right, we could make, if I had a whiteboard, we could just list them all off, right? Yelling. Never pays to yell. With my kids, um, so they often say this. I have one sitting to my left. I can't look her in the eyes right now. Um, but they're like, it's, it's the voice. You, you're using that voice, right? It's, it's like, I'll just bring it up a few notches where it, it, it's probably yelling to them. But, and I'm like, I'm not angry, but you're using that voice, right? So it, it could be yelling. It could be that heightened voice. It could be unjust, excessive punishment I think for most of us in here my faults and failures are hypocrisy right what's hypocrisy it's saying one thing and doing another right hypocrisy verbal put downs and the list goes on so what should we do I, I think it's not just don't stop doing things that provoke anger. I think it's the start doing things that remove anger. Start doing things that remove anger, that overcome anger. Start doing things that awaken in the heart of a child other wonderful emotions so that they are not devoured by anger. The main task in all of this is that you overcome your own anger and replace it with tender-hearted joy. Joy that spills over onto your children, onto your spouse, onto your relationships. In other words, being the kind of father and mother God calls us to be means being the kind of Christian that God calls us to be. And being a Christian means what? It means running to the cross. 
It means running to the cross because it's there that we are forgiven of all our failures, all of our anger, all of our words. It's at the cross where we were first, what? Forgiven. It's where everything was paid. It means letting the smile of God in Christ melt the decades of hardened, numbing, emotionless, low-grade anger. And then letting that healing flow to others in our lives. Right, Paul puts it best. Right at the outset of Ephesians 5, as he starts to unpack this family, family verses, he says, let all anger be put away from you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And how do we do that? As God in Christ forgave you. Right? It is all because of the gospel. It is all because of Christ. Therefore, in Christ, by the Spirit, parents, individuals, we can do this. We can put away anger. We can forgive and we can experience and awaken in our children tenderheartedness with a whole array of precious emotions that may have been eaten up by anger. So they, with you, can live again. There's hope, right, in the gospel, in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Now I pray, Father, that there is a running to the cross this morning. That this message is not landing on ears that here, do this and don't do that. But Father, that they are landing on ears, including my own, that are seeing Jesus arrayed at the cross. where grace and mercy are falling free. Holy Spirit, we need your help this morning to fall afresh on our hearts. Help us to overcome these things in our lives and replace them with joy in Christ. For it's his supremacy that we are seeking this morning. It's his worship. We pray that we would decrease and that in our parenting and in our marriages and in our families and in this church, Christ would increase. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray all God's people said. Amen. Amen.